Congratulations to uh, Ethan's entire family. What a joy it must be. You know that God makes a promise to all parents. I'm sure you've heard about it before. God says, train up a child in the way he or she should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. It's a promise that we hold parents hold, hold dear to because we believe that parenting is, is difficult. Right, Paul? Parenting is tough. And we need God's help. And God has promised to be there with us. Has God ever made a promise to you? Has God ever promised you something? Maybe that he would lead you, guide you, counsel you. Maybe that he would bless you. Has God ever made a promise to you? God made a promise to Moses, which is what we've been reading on and what we've been trying to learn from. It's found in the book of Exodus chapter 3. You can follow along there with me if you like. Exodus chapter 3, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. We've been studying God's uh, calling Moses back to his original purpose and his original plan. As you know, because we've talked about it here the last couple of weeks, when Moses was born, he was delivered from certain d death. Miraculously, he was saved by floating in a basket down the Nile River. And then later, he was raised in the palace against all odds, a little Hebrew boy being raised like an Egyptian pharaoh. When he was young, Moses probably believed that there was something special about him. I'm sure his mother told him that. But then, as circumstances would have it, Moses threw that all away. You recall we talked about it. In a fit of rage, he murdered someone, and then he ran away off into the desert, left his life of promise, left every dream he had, left every promise God had made him when he was a child, and instead was out tending sheep, not even his own sheep, his father-in-law's sheep, out in the edges of the desert. And there God found him. You recall we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Moses stumbled upon the presence of God, and God said to Moses, take off your sandals for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And there Moses, uh, bewildered, not knowing what to do because he'd known about God. His mother had told him he had sort of grown up culturally a Hebrew, which means he knew something about Jacob and Abraham and Isaac, but he did not know God personally. He stumbled upon the presence of God and God said, I am the one you've heard about. I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses the Bible says, hid his face because he understood that suddenly he was in the presence of someone greater. And this greater being made him a promise. He said, I'm going to send you to deliver my people out of Israel. And then he said these words there in chapter 3, and I will be with you. And this will be a sign, here comes the promise, that I'm the one who sent you. When it's all said and done, when you have accomplished this, you will come and you will worship me, all the people of Israel. On this very same place, in this same mountain. God made Moses this extraordinary promise. See, he was a nobody. Yeah, sure, when he was young, he had dreams and ideas that he would become someone. But like many of us, he got into middle age and middle life, and he realized things didn't work out the way he imagined. And he figured he would just settle into this life of a shepherd. But God had another plan. God said, maybe you didn't take the original path I chose for you, but I have come to reclaim you for myself. So I have prepared you and I'm sending you to Egypt to deliver my people. And this will be a sign when you have done it, when it's all said and done, you will come and you will bring them all and worship me on this mountain. And if you were Moses that day, you would have said to yourself, like he did, who am I? And how could something like that possibly be true? 
I've been wondering if maybe God has made you a promise that you think is impossible for him to keep. There might be some of you in the congregation who, who believe that God has a dream that you will become a certain profession. Maybe, I don't know, doctor or lawyer or something, and you're not sure how you're going to get there. Maybe God has planted this dream in your heart, and you don't know. I don't even know how, my, how I'm going to get there. Maybe some of you believe that God has given you a promise for your family. But you're not sure from the point where you're standing how this will ever come to be. I think that's our natural reaction when God speaks. We're just not sure. And Moses wasn't sure, but God said this will be a sign when you have done it. I love the way God speaks. He speaks with a certainty of completion. When it's all said and done, you will worship me on this mountain. Well, I don't have to tell you, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, and undoubtedly, you've seen the movie. You know what happens next. Moses goes into Egypt, and by God's power and by God's grace, he represents God mightily there. And there's a really fun chapter in there where the plagues start coming down. Y'all remember the plagues, right? No, never heard about it? Okay. Uh, God tells Moses, say to the Pharaoh, let my people go, but his heart will be hardened. And, and the Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let them go. No, I've changed my mind. And God says, you better let my people go or else. And Pharaoh says, what else? And God starts sending problems. That's what plagues are, problems. You recall what they are, anybody out there? Yeah, frogs is the first one that people say, Frogs. Uh, I don't like frogs. I don't know. I, when kids are small, they like to catch tadpoles. I think that's gross. Like, why would you ever want to touch a slimy frog? But can you imagine there were frogs everywhere? You couldn't step. There were frogs. That's pretty gross. There's a plague of locusts, plague of darkness, all kinds. And then eventually the last one is death. God takes the firstborn of every Egyptian family. And when that happens, the Bible tells us, you remember, we studied this uh, last summer. Uh, the Bible tells us the Egyptian pharaoh said, okay, I've had enough. Let these people go. Let them go. Let them go. And they leave. Hundreds of thousands of slaves leave. And the Bible tells us they even, uh, uh, the Egyptians even gave them going away presents. Here, <laughs> take our stuff, take our gold, take our silver, just leave, just leave, just leave. And they left. And, and we studied last summer how Moses began to take them away from Egypt towards the promised land and how they came across the Red Sea and, and, and they were afraid and God parted the waters and they walked through and eventually they made their way through the desert and they ended up at the mountain of God. And there, God came and revealed himself to them and he gave them the Ten Commandments. We, we, we went through all this last summer uh, together as a church family. But what's fascinating is uh, as we read the rest of the story God kept his word to Moses. God kept his word. He helped him. He was with him. He empowered him. He blessed him and eventually Moses did bring God's people out of Egypt and they worshipped God on this mountain. But the fantastic thing is that God did not intend Moses simply to have that one victory. Nor did he have in mind that his people would worship him one time in this location. God's desire was that he would be with his people always. And so God was leading them from Egypt towards the promised land. And as they were traveling, they were a nomadic people. They lived in tents. Now, I don't know if some of you guys like camping. I know Paul doesn't. We've, we've tried that one, but I know he doesn't. But I know there are some of you who like camping, 
who liked the tent life. But when you're on the move, this is how they lived. They lived in tents. And when it was time to move, they would pack up the tents and they would move a distance until God said, okay, here. And the Bible tells us, we studied last summer, that God's presence was like a guidance to them. During the day, there would be a, 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 a cloud, a dark cloud that would give them shade in the heat of the desert. And at night, this cloud would turn into a pillar of fire that would give them light and assurance on the camp. And there's an interesting thing that, that God does as he is describing to Moses how he will continue to be with his people. And it's found uh, in Exodus chapter 29. If you would flip there, please. We were in chapter 3, now we're going to go to chapter 29. Uh, God begins to tell uh, Moses that he wants to perpetually stay with his people. That means he wants to remain with his people. And so he gives them instructions to prepare a place for God amongst the people. And, and throughout the, the end of the book of Exodus and onto Leviticus, God's begin, God begins to describe what we call the tabernacle, a place where God interacts with his people. And this is what God says. <clears throat> Please um, look at chapter 29. We're going to zoom in verse uh, 38. 38, God has given specific instructions on how the people are going to interact with their God. And this is what God says. God is speaking. He says, and you are to offer on the altar regularly each day two lambs that are a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. And with the first lamb, offer a tenth of an infant of fine flour mixed with a quarter uh, of oil and pressed olives. <clears throat> and offer the lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning. A pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. He says, every day, in the morning and in the evening, you are to make this exchange, this offering between you and me. But notice this, verse 42. And for generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. And there I will meet you, and there I will speak to you, and there I will also meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. Verse 44, and so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve, and then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God, and they will know that I am the Lord who has brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them and be their God. So God makes this startling statement. He says, I don't just want to live in the past of what I've done. I actually want to be in the present. So make for me this tent of meeting. We call it the tabernacle. The Bible describes it that way. But it's explained clearly there, a tent of meeting. Flip a few pages as, as the Bible describes what is going on at this tent of meeting. Chapter 33 here, beginning with verse 7. I know we're going fast, but you can handle it. Chapter 33, the book of Exodus, tent of meeting, verse 7. And now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, verse 7, some distance away. And it was called the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose stood at the entrance of their own tents watching Moses until he entered. And as Moses went into the tent, this pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud, they stood and worshipped each at the entrance of their own tent. And God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. God told Moses, I want to interact with you. I want to, I want to be amongst my people and I want to be your God. And then he says, and I want to make a special place where we can meet up. A tent of meeting. 
attentive meeting. I've been thinking, what it would be like to meet God in person. Have you ever wanted to do that? Like actually talk to him in person? Face to face? Like you would talk to a friend? Now, I know uh, if you ever tell somebody, oh yeah, God talked to me, God spoke to me, they'll look at you weird, right? Did you audibly hear him? Did you hear a sound? Uh, uh, we have a difficult time figuring that out. But the Bible tells us that here, Moses is being invited to meet with God. And the Bible says anyone who wanted to inquire of the Lord could come to the tent of meeting. And this pillar, this pillar that was a symbol of God's presence, would go from on high and would descend upon the tent of meeting so that we could actually meet with God. I've been thinking about that. Would you like to meet with God? Have you ever wanted to talk to him and ask some questions and actually get some answers? Are you going through something right now that you feel like you wish you had God's direct counsel on? Well, that's what God was providing for them. He said, I'm going to be your God, and this is how I will be your God. I will interact with you. I will meet with you. So make a special place for me. We'll call it the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, a place where the divine and the human can meet. What do you think about that? You like the idea? You don't seem very excited. I understand. <clears throat> Some of you are probably feeling the burn. You know that uh, Bernie Sanders is coming to National City this afternoon, and you're excited about that. So your mind's already at Kimball Park this afternoon. Can't wait to hear what he's got to say. Free college education, whatever other socialist programs, and you're excited. I was surprised. Yesterday I was at the high school talking to the high schoolers, and we were talking, what are you guys doing this weekend? They're like, oh, we're going to go see Bernie Sanders. I was like, what? <laughs> They were so excited. I said, oh, I want to take you guys out. No, 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 scrap that. We're busy. We're going to go see Bernie Sanders. They're preparing to meet and hear from Bernie Sanders. And they were excited. <laughs> Feeling the burn. Maybe some of y'all made plans as well. It's kind of an interesting thing, right? When somebody important comes to town, when some special person, we anticipate meeting, hoping Maybe get an autograph. I don't know. But could you believe that God is extending the same kind of invitation? He's coming to town and he wants to meet with you. Fascinating, don't you think? God says, make for generations, make me this tent of meeting and I will dwell amongst my people and I will be their God. So Moses used to pitch this tent, and if anyone had a question, a doubt, a concern, an issue, they could come to the presence of God and talk to him and get some insight and some counsel. See, when God first created us, that's the way he designed us. He designed us to be in constant contact with him. In the Garden of Eden, when God made uh, Adam and Eve, there was no division that would separate them. They could talk to him. They could reason with him. They could dialogue with him. The Bible describes this in, in Genesis when it says that in the cool of the day, Adam would take walks with God and they could talk about stuff and say how hard it was today or what struggles he went and he could tell them everything that was going on and, and there was this special relationship. But ever since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, it created a, a, a break in the relationship. God has not been able to talk to us the same way. See, he is so good and so right in his presence 
we blow up. If there's any sin in our hearts, it cannot stand to be in the presence of God. So God has been separated from us, but what he really wants and what he desires is to go back to that kind of relationship. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that one day he will. Revelation 21 tells us that when sin is done away with, when it's all said and done, we will be able to be in the presence of God continually. He will be like our son. And our lives will gravitate around him. And we're able to talk to him face to face. It was what he intended in the beginning. It's when he intends at the end. But in between, his heart breaks because we are been separated from him. And so here, in Moses' experience, in the beginning of the people of Israel, God is trying to bridge that gap. And the way he does it, he says, you, you would burn up if I came to you constantly and, and without shields. But what I want to do, he says, I want you to create for me a special place, a tent of meeting. And I will descend in a cloud, covering myself, but I will allow you to come close and meet with me. And that's the invitation he makes for us today. Now, here in our campus, we've been talking about, like, why we come. And I know that some of you probably don't know why you're here today. <laughs> maybe it's cultural. Maybe, like, this is just what you do. And you're not quite sure. But today, I want us to wrestle for just a moment as to why you're here. And what we do when we're here. Bible tells us that Moses set this example and he would tell the people, God wants to live among us and he will make a special tent for us to meet. The Bible tells us that throughout the generations they uh, had specific instructions what, what to do in this, uh, in, this, in this tabernacle, in this temple. And someday we're going to talk about that. But for the moment I want you to fast forward to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Many, many years later after the, the, uh, the Israelites had traveled through the desert and have encountered many things, many problems, the Bible talks about a specific time when David finally succeeds in bringing the Ark of the Covenant to a more permanent place. So please turn in the uh, your Bible's First Chronicles chapter 16, because I think this will inform what we're meant to do here today. The Bible tells us <clears throat> that David finally brought the Ark of the Covenant, and by the way, if you don't know, the Ark is what this, this piece of furniture that they created to put the two tablets inside, and it would represent the very presence and interaction between God and us. And the Bible tells us in First Chronicles 16 that they brought the Ark of God, verse 1, follow with me, and they set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, this tent of meeting. And they presented burnt offerings, just like we described, and fellowship offerings before God, verse 2. And after David had finished sacrificing the burnt and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he gave them a piece of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to every Israelite man and woman. Verse 4, listen carefully. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. David is creating a more permanent tabernacle amongst God's people. Following the instructions that had been handed down from generation to generation ever since the time of Moses. And David says, now let us come before God with thanks, petitions, and praise. The Bible tells us there that he appointed specific people to, to sound the cymbals and to blow the trumpets and to play the harps. And then he gives them a song. 
It's right there in chapter 16, verse 7. And that day, David first committed to them this psalm, this song. I want you to read it with me. Verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him and sing praises to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name and let the ears of those who seek the Lord rejoice. See what David is doing here? He's putting into song the intentions of God's people. He knows that there are some of us who are seeking God. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe some of you have come today to church because there's something that you seek. You want God to speak on something in your life. I don't know what that is, but God has given us this opportunity to seek him personally. David says, you're in the right place. Those who seek God rejoice. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Verse 11, look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always. Verse 12, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he has pronounced. Verse 14, he is the Lord our God and his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenants, the word he commanded for a thousand generations. David says to the people, we come into the presence of God and we remember what God has done for us in the past, but we seek him in the present. And rejoice because God is present and he is here to meet you. This is a special song that they first create at the very beginning of the, the, the permanent placing of the tabernacle. And it is a song that is repeated later in the book of Psalms. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize it. It's an echo. Please turn with me. Psalms 96. Uh, Psalms 96 was meant to be sung publicly when the people of God would meet together. 95, 96, the number of them would be like, like, a, like an opera, if you will, when people of God would meet together. And this is what it says, verse, verse 1, chapter 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name and proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations for his marvelous deeds amongst all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But God made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength or glory are in his sanctuary. David is inviting the people to come into the tent of meeting and to recognize who exactly we are meeting. And he invites us to open our eyes and to open our hearts and understand that we are not meeting an idol but the great I am, the one and only true living God. That's the God we worship. And we worship him because he meets with us. But how do we worship? The Bible talks extensively about worship, and what worship actually is, is recognizing in whose presence you are. Standing, sitting, or maybe kneeling. See, the definition of worship is to recognize that we are in the presence of someone greater than us and to assume the natural position. The tent of meeting, as described by Moses and now being carried out in David, is this very special place where the God of the universe decides to come down and invite us into his presence. And the question is, will you come in? And what kind of heart will you bring?
See, I think that over the course of time, we have been misled and we have been tricked into thinking that just showing up on a Saturday is worship, but it's not. Or we've been led to think that worship is what happens up there when people are singing or doing that, but it isn't that either. We've been led to think that somehow the Levites are responsible for worship, but that's not actually the case. The Levites, both in Moses' time and in David's time and in present time, our job is just to present God and invite you to bring worship. Worship is done by the people, not the Levites. The offerings are made by the people, not the priests or the pastors. Worship is the people recognizing that God is good and that his mercy endures forever. Worship is, is the act of the people recognizing that they can come and seek God's face and hear from him. God wants to meet with you. Worship is not a noun. It is not a location. It is a verb. So whether or not God has been glorified here today depends not on us, but on you. Whether or not the name of God is proclaimed depends not on me, but on you. Do you see the difference? So the invitation God makes into his, into his people is to come into the tent of meeting, not first to receive, but to bring. So David says, and Moses says, and he appoints people, let's bring our thanks. So that's my first question to you. Have you got anything to give thanks to God for today? And did you bring it with you? Did you bring a spirit of gratitude? Have you got anything to give thanks for? I know some of you are struggling with that right now. David understands that and he says, bring your gratitude, but also bring your cries. Bring your petitions, cry out to God. Because when we meet with our Father, he wants to hear it all. He wants to hear it all. Bring your petitions, David says. Let us cry out to him. Let us ask him. Let us tell him everything that we're struggling with. He wants to. He needs to. He's desperate to hear from you because he wants a personal relationship, an authentic experience of you so you can authentically experience him. And then David says, and then let's praise him. See, praise is an act of faith, not an act of gratitude. Praise is us saying God is here, he's with us, and he will be with us. He will keep his word. And when we gather together and sing praises and proclaim his name, what we're telling the world and especially the devil is that we're on the winning side. God has already won before things have taken place. That's what praise means. To give God glory after he has done, that's gratitude. To give God glory before he has done it, that's praise. And the invitation here David makes for us is to come into his house, to seek his face, bring him our thanks, bring him our petitions, and they say, God will take care of it all. Because he is mighty, because his love endures forever, because that is how we worship. And what about you? What spirit did you bring today? What have you got to give God today?
What did you bring? I'm afraid too often we bring an attitude of uh, sarcasm, cynicism, disillusionment. And too often many of us come in and we say, well, let's see what they've got today. And we cross our arms and we say, impress me. And can you imagine the heart of God when he sees you that way? One of my favorite things, I'll just be honest with you, one of my favorite things at the end of my day when I get home is when I turn my key in the lock and I'm about to open it, I hear my kids inside. And my youngest comes running from the kitchen and I hear him and he says, Papa's home, Papa's home, Papa's home. And he runs. It's my favorite moment of the day. And I open it and they run and I pick them up. That's what God wants. He wants to meet with us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to embrace us, pick us up. God has been good. He's been faithful. He wants us to recognize that. And he's provided this safe place, a sanctuary, where we can bring our gratitude, our cries, and we proclaim his goodness. That is how we worship. That is how we worship. We don't worship with crossed arms and furrowed brows. We don't say to the God of heaven, impress me. We don't say to the God of heaven, let me see what you can do before I honor you. If you understood how much he wants to give you and bless you, that's why the psalmist says, those who seek the Lord rejoice because he will be found. He can be found. And so we have become convinced that there is something available for us when we meet together that you can't find anywhere else. There's something that God wants to do when we come together, when you join your voices with ours and your spirit with ours, that God is able to present himself and reveal himself and that there is grace and conviction when we meet together that is not available at other times and in other places. And that is how we worship. That is how we worship. We bring our gratitude and our praises and our petitions. And we ask God, speak to us. And we praise him and we lift him up and we bless his name. And that's why this moment matters for all of us. Not just those of us who are up here, but especially for you. Because your offering of worship comes from you. The guilt offering, the sin offering, the fellowship, everything comes from you, not from us. We're just providing the space and the opportunity and making the invitation. But the true worship comes from you, God's people, from you, God's daughter, and God's son. And the act of faith that praise is must come from you. For God will not go and bless your life unless you let him. God cannot empower your dreams, your visions, and he cannot fulfill the promises he made to you unless you let him. And this is the opportunity we have today to proclaim that he will and to let him amongst us as a people and then through us when we leave.